Hey, this is Pastor Mike. A few months ago, I had a virtual question and answer with some local high school students about my little book, Gay and God. They asked me some really raw, really real, and some pretty tough questions about the intersection of sexuality and spirituality. So, I hope you enjoy this dialogue. I hope it helps deepen your faith and enjoy this podcast. I'm super excited to talk to you guys today. Uh, you obviously read my little book, Gay and God, and I got to read through all the questions that you sent back. I think I have 40, no, I have 50 different questions that you guys asked in response to this book, which is amazing. Um, I was thinking, I have 30 minutes. I wish I had about four hours so I could go through every question. So I'm not going to be able to. So if I don't get to your specific question, uh, I apologize for that. But I did want to cover kind of three big themes that I saw as I was reading through your questions. So, you know, there are 40, 50, 48 to 50 different questions, but uh, I kept noticing like one of three categories coming up time after time. And the categories were, first of all, is this really a sin? Um, you know, is acting out on same-sex desire, being bisexual, it, is it a sin? And if so, is it that, that bad of a sin because all sin is sin? Um, so that's the first category. The second category was, okay, I, I think that it is a sin, but what do I do with all these other people in my life that aren't so sure? Uh, my neighbor, my relative, someone I love is dating someone, married to someone of the same sex. What, what do I say? What if they think I'm judgmental or hateful? What if they flat out say that I'm homophobic or I'm a bigot? Like, wh what do I do with all these other people who have different beliefs and behaviors. So that was the second category. And the third category, which I was super proud of you all for uh, bringing up was, what if I do believe that this is a sin and I'm struggling with it or a friend is struggling with it and they think that it's a sin, but you know, what, what do we do? Because this isn't an easy battle. Um, that was probably the most common thing that came up. And like I said, I'm, I'm super proud of you for bringing that up. A lot of people don't especially in the Christian community. So for your courage and your boldness, um, I don't know who it was that asked these questions. They're just numbered 1 through 50 on my sheet. Uh, but that came up at least six, if not eight times in your questions. So in our next maybe 25 minutes, I'm going to try to cover those three things. I'm going to pick a couple questions from each category. Is this really a, a sin? Secondly, what about all those other people who aren't sure that it is or they don't think that it is? And three, what do I do? What do my friends do if we're struggling with this? So. Let's start with the first category. Uh, let me read to you a couple of the questions and then I'll, I'll tackle these in category number one. Uh, one of you asked, since God has changed his view on eating unclean animals, how do we know that he didn't change his mind on homosexuals? So the Old Testament, you couldn't eat, you know, pork or shellfish, but now you can, so that changed. So, you know, maybe this changed too. Another person said, how do I respond when someone says being gay isn't that big of a deal because everyone sins and technically they're right. It's not a bigger sin than anything else, so how should I react to that? And then the final question I had in this section was, how come we point out LGBTQ plus more than other sins? Not that the church does that, but we as humans do that. All right, so if this is, if sin is sin, like why is this such a different category for a lot of people and a lot of people even in the church? 
So let's cover those three questions. Uh, here's the first one. Since God changed his mind on eating unclean animals, how do we know he didn't change his mind on homosexuals? Um, wow, that, that's actually a really insightful and common argument. I remember back when I was about your age, maybe a little bit older, I was reading Sports Illustrated and there was, uh, I think he was a former NBA basketball player who had come out as gay. And they had this little quote from him in Sports Illustrated. He was asked about his sexuality and faith and Christianity. And he said, I know a lot of Christians who eat lobster. So, and that was the quote. <laughs> because in the book of Leviticus, in some of those passages that talk about God doesn't want a man to lie with a man, it also talks about God doesn't want people to eat shellfish or pork. And we do that all the time. I mean, we have pulled pork sandwiches at FEL events or in the lunchroom. So if we're like breaking that commandment and God says it's okay now, you know, what's the difference? Uh, here's my simple answer. The New Testament is the difference. So if you go to the New Testament, you would find some of the laws of the Old Testament being repeated and some of them being explained that we don't have to keep them anymore. So do you remember the story in the book of Acts where Peter, who would never eat pork or shellfish, he has that, that vision where the sheet comes down from heaven and it's filled with all these unclean animals. And what does God say? Peter, kill and eat. And Peter says, I, I can't. <laughs> like, I, I got to keep the laws of the Old Testament. And God gave him this vision three times to explain, no, 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 no. I've declared this clean. It's okay. That was just a rule for the Old Testament people for a specific purpose, but that doesn't apply anymore. Now, does the same thing happen with sexuality? Does God ever, quote, change his mind in the New Testament from those laws of the old? And the answer is he doesn't. In fact, he repeats them. Um, I made the argument in the book a little bit. God kind of chooses the same words from the Old Testament in Romans chapter 1, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, uh, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, that what he thought about sexuality and its role in the human life has not changed. So the argument that I read in Sports Illustrated, uh, the argument that we hear a lot, that if you eat pork or lobster or shrimp, then you shouldn't have a problem with this. It, it's just not true. Some things from the Old Testament we keep doing if they're repeated in the New, and this one absolutely is. So that's the first question. Um, here's the second uh, it's a really good one. How do I respond when someone says that being gay isn't that big of a deal because everyone sins? Technically, they're right. Homosexuality is not a bigger sin than anything else. So how should I react to them as I agree on this fact? Um, so 1 Corinthians 6 starts with these words, Don't be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral nor those who practice homosexual behavior, nor the greedy, nor adulterers, nor idolaters will enter the kingdom of God. And I think if you read that whole passage, um, it, I sense when I read this question, like sometimes we say homosexuality is way up here. It's, it's really, really, really bad. But you know, it's a sin and we all sin. So maybe it's not that bad like all these other sins. That's not at all biblical. Instead, we should do this. 
Paul said, don't be deceived. It is true that if you want a homosexual relationship more than you want Jesus, it, it will cost you your eternity. But the same is true if you want to be an adulterer, a slanderer, a greedy person who doesn't care about the poor. It is true that all sin is sin, but that doesn't mean that all sin is small. Uh, You might memorize that passage from Romans, the wages of sin is, it's death. Uh, Ezekiel 18, the soul who sins is the one who will die. So instead of using that argument to make all sin seem small, Maybe we can use that argument to say all sin is really serious. It requires repentance and it requires the cross of Jesus. So, is it a New Testament sin? Yes. Is it serious enough to separate you from God? Absolutely yes. Um, That's why we run to Jesus for help. We confess our sins and we cling to his cross. All right. uh, Last question in this section. Another good one. How come we point out LGBTQ plus more than other sins? Um, Because the human heart is messed up. Um, What I've kind of noticed about people, just in general, is that we really like to, to minimize the sins we commit and to make a big deal out of the sins that we don't. Right? So let's say you're a every Sunday church-going person. Uh, let's say you would never think of getting an abortion. And you look out at the world and you say, all these people who are skipping church and doing whatever they want and hooking up and going to the clinic and taking the pill, like those, those people out there are the problem. But if you talk to those people out there, what would they say about church people? All oh, those hypocrites who go to church. You know, they sit in a pew and they think it makes them close to God, but they don't love people. They're not nice to people. They walk right past homeless people, poor people. They don't even care about them. They have no compassion for them. Like, at least I'm not a hypocrite like that. And you kind of see that in the world, everyone does this. Remember that story in Luke 18? The Pharisee and the tax collector go into the temple and the Pharisee prays. And he prays, I thank you, God that I'm not like other people. So instead of confessing his need for salvation and forgiveness, he kind of looked around and said, well, at least I don't do that. I'm not like those tax collectors, those prostitutes. So this is always going to be a struggle. If, if you're the kind of person who doesn't struggle with same-sex attraction or gender dysphoria or like a bisexual attraction, it's going to be easy to really villainize those people as the bad people. Um, But instead, we should say, you know, all of us have a struggle to love God with our whole heart, to love our neighbor as ourself. I'm not any better. I'm not any worse. We're all in the same boat. We really need Jesus to take care of our sin problem. So, I think that's just in human nature. If you're not a popular kid, you might gossip about those arrogant popular kids. If you are a popular kid, you might say this and that about the non-pop. You know, it, it just happens all the time in a thousand different ways. And Jesus said it's really important that we don't do that. So, category number one. Let's talk about sin. Is it a sin? Yes. 1 Corinthians 6 is good proof. Is it a serious sin? Absolutely, just like all the other sins. Don't be deceived. It can separate you from the kingdom of God. 
And, and don't think just because this might be a sin that you don't struggle with, that it makes it a bigger deal than the things you do struggle with. All, all sin requires Jesus. I hope that helps. I'm going to keep rolling to category two, but remember to put your questions in the comment section below. And uh, when we get 30 minutes in here, I'll try to tackle those as best as I can. Okay, section number two. Remember, that section is all about, okay, pastor, um, I'm trying to believe that. I understand these passages, but not everyone believes that. Some people in my family don't believe that. They show up at the family event with their significant other who is the same sex and not embarrassed. They're not struggling. In fact, some people think that I'm the problem for saying that it's a sin, that I'm homophobic, that I'm bigoted. What, what should we do with all that? So let me tackle three questions in that category. Um, here's the first one that you asked. Oh, I like this. Would you invite a family member who is a homosexual to your wedding? My answer is, of course I would. Think about that for a second. I'm guessing if you ask this question, you're thinking, okay, they have a lifestyle that I don't agree with. I don't think it's biblical. Should I invite them to the wedding? <laughs> My question back to you would be, well, are you going to include all the other sins in that logic? Hmm. My cousin is kind of impatient. Should I invite him to the wedding? My stepsister is kind of rude and proud. Should I let her stand up in the wedding? My buddy goes on Tinder all the time and he hooks up with people, looks at pornography. Is he, is he allowed to come to my wedding? <laughs> like, of, of course we, we invite people to our wedding who aren't walking with God. Some might be struggling with sin, some might not be. Um, you might have a friend or a coworker who's gay that comes with his partner, slow dances on the dance floor, and you might have a cousin who comes with his girlfriend and they're hooking up and they have no plans to get married and they're dancing on the <laughs> You know, if, if our reasoning is we can't let anyone who's not close to Jesus come to our wedding, then I don't, I mean, what would we do? Tell the ushers, don't give a bulletin to anyone who looks like they're living in sin. You know, how would we know? Um, so my answer is, of, of course. A, a wedding isn't meant just to be for everyone who repents of their sin and follows Jesus. I don't think anyone expects that. So let's not put homosexuality in a different category. Um, let's just let the wedding be a chance for people to come, to hear the word. Coming to my wedding doesn't mean I assume that you're a Christian or a part of the kingdom of God, but it is a chance to hear the Christian message and enter into the kingdom of God. All right, second question in this section. Da, 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 da. Number 10. Ooh. This was one of my favorites. It says, how do you begin taking the steps in this book with a friend who isn't religious? Um, let's say you have a next door neighbor. You love hanging out. You go to the movies, you Snapchat. They're not religious. They might even be uh, gay, lesbian, um, transgender. Uh, what steps do you take? Man, um, I talk a lot and I'm really tempted to give you a list of like 76 <laughs> things to think about. But maybe I'll just zero in on one big idea. 
I think the best thing in the world to do is to be so excited about the God that you have through Jesus that they're just shocked at the way you live. Like, without being pushy, without trying to sell them Jesus, without cramming his name into conversations, if, if you would be so excited that the God of the universe loves you, he likes you, he's with you, he goes before you, he has plans for you, if, if you wouldn't be afraid of the coronavirus or cancer or breakups or, or dying, if you could fall asleep without a guilty conscience because you know that Jesus died for all of your sins and because of that, you have God with you every moment of every day. I, I, think, I think they would look at you and say, wow, I, I kind of want a life like yours. I'm sick of being scared of what might happen. I'm sick of the emotional roller coaster of, you know, relationships that determine my happiness. Like, I need a rock and a foundation like you have. How do I get it? And I think you could tell them a really, really short story that Jesus told. It's called the parable of the treasure in a field. Have you heard it? Let me find it real fast in my Bible. It's in uh, Matthew chapter 13. It's only like a verse or two long. And uh, here's what Jesus said. He said, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again and then in his joy went, sold all that he had and bought that field. I love this story so much. Like when you find God, the king of heaven, he invites you in the kingdom. Not everyone sees how beautiful it is. It's like a treasure that's hidden and it is so valuable And it's so precious, you catch Jesus' words, the man sold everything he had with joy. He gave up everything he had and he wasn't sad about it. Why? Because he was getting this treasure. In my mind, especially in the culture that we live in, that is a super wise approach to sharing our faith. If we're just pushing on people, you should repent of that. That's a sin. You should stop doing that. Like, in their mind, they're going to say, how could I joyfully give up something that means so much to me? But if you can show them that there's a treasure that maybe they haven't discovered just yet, it's hidden in a field, but you're going to take them to that field and say, look, eternal love, eternal life, forgiveness of sins. This is a billion times better than any relationship. You could fall in love. You could have a gay marriage. You could live happily ever after for 60 years, but then it's over. And what do you have? God wants to give you a billion times more. So show them the, the treasure. In your own joy, you know, give up the, the pleasures of this life and the sins that people your age love to commit. And don't be sad about it. You have God. <laughs> so to your question, how do you take steps in this book with a friend who isn't religious? I would say, let your light shine. Let them see what you got. And if they ask about it, tell them it's God. And if they repent of their sins and have faith in Jesus, they can have him too. All right. Which brings us to our last question in this section. Um, I like this one too. How should we react to someone of the LGBTQ plus community when they flat out say they hate Christians? 
man, um, it's obviously not fun when someone says they hate Christians. Uh, but I would actually start with this. Have the Christians that they've met given them a reason to hate? After reading my book, you know, you heard my story that um, growing up, I was so passionate about these Bible passages, but I wasn't very compassionate with people. So before I get on the defensive, if someone says they hate Christians, I would try to listen to their story and ask them, well, why do you feel that way? What have Christians done or or said to you? And maybe when you hear their answer, you know, you're going to hate the kind of behavior that they've been through as well. So I I would start there. James chapter 1 says, everyone should be slow to speak and quick to listen. So I'm going to be quick to listen to, to see what's behind that. But if in the end, what they hate is not like hateful Christians, but just humble Christians who are repeating the things that the New Testament says, if they hate you for just following in Jesus' footsteps and loving the word of God, I think what you should do at that point is throw a party. You should be so happy that you are hated, not because you're a jerk, but because you follow Jesus. So let me page back in my Bible really quickly. Matthew 5, uh, that's sometimes called the Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus was talking about the kind of people that are blessed. And listen to this in Matthew 5 verse 11. He said, Blessed are you when people insult you. Blessed are you when people persecute you. Blessed are you when people say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. So, if my neighbor or the people on the internet, if they hate me, despise me, they say I'm, you know, whatever phobic, not because I'm being a jerk, but just because I'm humbly teaching the word of God, It's really good to be hated because you're standing with a holy God. So, number one, listen. See what's behind it. Number two, if it's just because you're with Jesus, don't be rude about it. (laughs) Don't be a jerk. But you should go home and celebrate just like Jesus said. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. All right, guys. um, That's section two. How does a Christian live in a world where people don't always agree with the Christian message? And in our last uh, five minutes or so here, I'm going to tackle category number three. And this is about your struggle. Um, So many of you say that either you personally or someone that you love, uh, you're struggling with sexuality, with desires. Um, You ask things like, what's your advice for helping someone resist those urges? How do I go helping someone who's struggling? What things can I do to correct myself? What should I do if I'm a Christian struggling with impure thoughts about the same gender? Um, Man, I really wish I had two or three hours with you. Um, There's so many things that I'd want to say about God's love and God's patience, um, God's kindness, uh, his beauty. Um, maybe the, the first place I'll start is this. It is absolutely okay to talk about this 
and it is essential to talk about this with brothers and sisters in the faith. So if it's true that sin is sin, and if it's true what James 5.16 says, that if we confess our sins and pray for each other, we can be healed, then it's so important, and man, I know this is so hard when you're a teenager, to, to talk about what's really going on in our lives. So if you're struggling with insecurity, if you're like addicted to romantic relationships, if you're struggling with gender identity, um, if, if sexuality is an issue for you, if you're proud and you just boast about your grades, your sports achievements, you know, whatever the struggle is, one of the best, best things we can do is just to talk. You know, to be a Christian <laughs> is to admit that you're so messed up that you need Christ to save you. <laughs> so it shouldn't be crazy if at a Christian school like yours, at a Christian church like mine or the one you attend, that if we actually said that, hey, I, I struggle with things and I, I, I don't know what to do. In my mind, the most powerful step that many people don't take is just to talk. You're struggling with your sexuality and you, you pray so passionately about it. God, change me, help me, I want to be obedient. You confess your sins when you fall. You run back to the cross of Jesus for forgiveness. But what we don't often do is to, to talk to each other about it. And it's so important that we do. Um, a few of you might know my story. Uh, I, I've never struggled with um, same-sex attraction or anything on the LGBTQIA plus spectrum. Uh, but when I was, yeah, just a, about your age, 15, um, I kind of plunged into a really dark place with uh, pornography on the internet. And man, I was, you know, I was the guy who went to church every Sunday. I read my Bible at home every single day. I made the decision in the midst of that to become a pastor. I went to my first ever Christian school in college. I mean, I wasn't a guy who like showed up at Christmas and Easter. I was all in when it came to Jesus, but I was so stuck and I struggled for so many years with that temptation. Um, but do, do you know what really helped change me and cure me? Talking to people. When I reached out to a counselor and got help, when I talked to friends that would help keep me accountable and check in on me, when I'd mess up and, and relapse and they would give me Jesus, that his blood covers every sin, his grace is always sufficient, like that, that was a game changer for me. It didn't mean the temptation just went away or I would never struggle again. But to come out of that secrecy, to not have to hide about it and to talk to brothers and sisters is so huge. So as I wrap things up, let me say two things. Number one, if you're struggling, it is so, 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 so important in the Christian community to talk. If you confess this struggle to other people who don't love Jesus, who don't think he's a treasure worth giving up everything for, they will lead you down a very different path. And so I really want you to talk to your teacher, your pastor, trusted classmates, your parents, uh, good friends, those who love Jesus and believe it's worth picking up a cross to follow him. Please talk about that. And second, finally, if, if someone tells you about that, they have given you a very precious and sensitive gift. So if I say that to you and then you go and say that to other people, 
You're going to do incredible damage. You're actually going to teach me that I shouldn't talk about this anymore because someone might stab me in the back. So if someone comes out and confesses this to you, listen, love, hear their story, give them Jesus. Take them to Romans 7 where the Apostle Paul kept struggling with things that he didn't want to do either. And then bring them to Romans 8 where Jesus gives us everything we need. There's no condemnation right now because of him. So it doesn't matter what side of uh, the, the situation you're on, you struggle or you just love someone who does, to be able to talk with an open Bible at the foot of the cross of Jesus is one of the best things that we can do. All right, you guys. I know there are 50 questions on my sheet. Uh, I think I got to maybe seven or eight of them. <laughs> All right, I got one uh, comment in the chat here. Um, is it wrong to not invite someone because they're gay? Um, is this in regard to the wedding discussion? I think at your wedding, you can invite who you want to. Um, I think if you invite other people who are unrepentant sinners, that to not invite someone who's gay because you don't think they're repenting of that sin would be a, a double standard. Um, there might be other factors involved. Obviously, you're going to want to talk that over to them. Uh, maybe it's their attitude or the message they're trying to send. But if someone's coming to support you and respectfully be there, um, I, I don't think we want to set a different standard and reinforce that old thing that Christians think of this sin in a different way than they do others. Good question. All right, another question jumped in. I think you answered the big question I had and it was very helpful, so thank you. Well, thank you. It's nice to know that there are humans out there listening. <laughs> Uh, third question, how do you deal with Christians who don't believe that homosexuality is wrong? Ooh, um, thank you for asking that. Because there are a lot of them. Um, in preparing to write Gay and God and in preaching the sermon series that I did, I actually interviewed uh, not just Christians, but Christian leaders, various pastors. Um, you know, not to be self-promoting, but I think sharing like the little book that I wrote would be a good discussion starter. So I tried in a, you know, a fairly simple way to say, here are the passages, here are the like, what about objections. I would maybe say to, to someone who's on a different kind of belief than you are, like, hey, would you read this book? I'm wondering what you think about it. I'd love to talk about it. Grab a cup of coffee, have a conversation and see if you can find some common ground. I mean, in the end, the goal is to get back to the Bible itself, not my opinion, my church, my pastor versus your opinion, your church, your pastor. We want to get back to what God actually says about this. So talking it over with an open Bible is a great way to go. I think unless a person comes in with a preconceived notion, the passages are, are fairly obvious. So they kind of have to be taught and, you know, get around different words and verses. So just getting back to them, reading them and letting them speak uh, I found in those conversations that it can be pretty obvious what the word is saying. All right, any other questions out there? I was just thinking on the standpoint of Catholics who under the Pope that says it is acceptable. Um, yeah, good, good follow-up. Once again, I don't want you to believe anything about this because Pastor Mike said or the teacher at my high school said 
or the pastor at my church said, like, that, that means nothing to God. What a guy like me says, what he says in his word, that matters. So let's leave the pastor, the pope out of it. Let's try to get back to a real source of authority. All right. Uh, what about asexuality? Lack of sexual attraction towards both genders. Uh, great question. Uh, another FEL student asked me about that same thing in recent weeks. So in, in 1 Corinthians 7, the Apostle Paul is talking about uh, marriage and singleness. And in that chapter, he talks about some people who like burn with this passion to be in a relationship and to be sexually connected and other people who have a gift and they just don't. So when I've met asexual people who are describing like their life to me, like they're just okay without sex. They feel no passionate drive for marriage or for dating. In that aspect, I'd say, sure, yeah, what, what commandment is being broken? There's no commandment that says you have to have sex. <laughs> I mean, Jesus never had sex and he was perfect. Paul wasn't sexually active and he lived a very sanctified life for Jesus. So, yeah, it's a little bit tricky, huh? Because we think of LGBTQIA and it all gets put together as like one thing and you have to decide, are Christians for all of that or against all that? And you kind of have to break it apart and ask each question individually. So, if you don't feel sexual attraction towards another person, that's okay. You can honor God with a single life. You don't have to have sex to worship him. Uh, there's plenty of other ways to do it. All right, I'm going to wrap this up in three minutes. Oh, okay. I also saw this question on the original notes. Uh, question is about Sodom and Gomorrah. The question is, was there evidence that there were gay people before the flood? Um, we know that the world was pretty messed up before the flood, but it doesn't say exactly all the kinds of sins that were happening, so I couldn't give specific proof. And why, if before their flood there weren't gay people, did God choose to wipe them out and wait for the people of Sodom and Gomorrah until after he wiped everything and started over with a clean slate? Um, maybe my short answer to that question would be because of the human heart, um, both before the flood and after the flood, there have always been people who wanted to do things their way. And even though it was like at a critical mass that God decided to send the flood and hit reset, it obviously didn't solve the biggest problem of changing the human heart. So if God would have sent the flood, you know, after Sodom and Gomorrah, it's not like everyone would have been perfect after that. Their hearts would have still had a, a sinful nature. So really the ultimate solution wasn't the flood, but it was about Jesus who took the flood of God's anger to give us the best news in the world that could radically change the human heart. So, insightful question. All right, guys. I know it's a crazy time with Corona, so thank you for being here. Thanks for your honest questions. I'm praying for you. I'm grateful for you. Uh, thanks for a great morning and I hope you have a wonderful day. Hey, Pastor Mike here again. Thanks so much for listening to this podcast. As you can see, we only touched on the tip of the iceberg of this essential topic. So if you want more resources, check out the episode notes. We have links to resources to help you if you're struggling with same-sex attraction or if someone you love deeply is. Uh, we'd love for these resources to be a blessing in your journey and to draw you even closer to God. Thanks for checking them out and have a great day.